0: Hi, I'm Nicholas Creamer, and before the age of 18, I was arrested four times and set before a judge—a total of six times. Mm-hmm. During all that, there was a lot of low points, and, and at times, uh, I remember just waking up and thinking, "You know, what's the point of it all? And, and my life's not worth living." Uh, I thought. Multiple times, and contemplated suicide, and there was one one day that was close to that reality. I was searching for so much that it led me down some dark path. There was many nights that I woke up in the middle of the night, just contemplating, "What's the point of it all?" I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't know where my hope was. And I couldn't figure it out because my identity was in things that I just didn't even understand. And I was trying to search for that and longing for that deep connection. And, and I just never did find it.
1: But today is huge. I mean, this is, today is, is huge. Easter is being talked about. Uh, all around the globe. Millions of people have gathered, even are gathered now across our country around the world to hear this story. H.G. Wells said, and this is, by the way, at the top of your notes if you haven't yet on your handout, if you just look at the very top. H.G. Wells said this, I'm a historian. I'm not a believer. I think that's significant. I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian That this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. And it's interesting to me because Easter has influenced people's lives for thousands of years and continues to influence people today. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a Gallup poll that George Gallup did a poll uh, and he found out that 84% of people who never go to church, they never go to church. They believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Isn't that interesting? I mean, why is, why is that number so high? Why is this such a big deal? Take a look at what uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a church in the first century. The church is in Corinth. And he writes this to them. "I, I, I received what I received. I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according uh, to the scriptures. Now he's talking about what we celebrate today. So we call today. Okay. So, um, either some of you aren't real sure what day this is, or so let's try that. So uh, this is the day that we celebrate today, but we call it There we go. All right. Right. What we celebrate is that, you know, a couple of days ago on Friday, Jesus was hung on a cross. He was buried in a tomb for three days. And on Sunday, he was raised from the dead. But what's interesting to me is how Paul references... This story, because what he says is that it is of first importance. When you look at it in in other versions of the Bible, the new century version says this is the most important. The good news translation says that it's of the greatest importance, not just a story. And, And I have to ask, why is Easter that big of a deal? I mean, what about Christmas? What about Christmas? Baby, manger, animals, shepherds, wise men. We all love to cuddle up around that story, right? Or what about, what about Jesus healing people? I mean, think of all the lives he physically changed. It's incredible. Or, or what about walking on the water? When Jesus walked on the water, I mean, nobody else can do that. Or that story, there's a story about Jesus feeding 5,000 men, says it's men. So if you had women and children, maybe more like 15,000 people, he fed them with a little boy's lunch, five little pieces of bread biscuits and two little fish. And Jesus fed them. That's incredibly creative. Why is it that Easter is called the most important story? Why are so many people drawn to this particular story? What is it about Easter? And I will tell you what I think it is. I think it's because it's the linchpin. This story, all the other stories you can hear and applaud and say they're great and you love it. But Easter becomes a linchpin because we have to start making some decisions. So on your notes, I want you, you to put this down if you would. If you have a pencil, if you would write this down in your notes. Easter reminds us, this is why it's so huge, why it's so important. One of the things that Easter does is it reminds us that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. When he told us who he was, he was not kidding. Look at who he claimed to be. In John chapter 11, he wrote, "I, or he, he was speaking to some friends, and he said, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies." And I'll tell you, listen, these verses have special significance to me, because three days ago, a friend of mine died. He's a follower of Jesus. And Jesus said, because of who I am, he gets to live forever. That's an outrageous claim. <laughs> he made claims like that. He, he said things like this. If you have seen me, you have seen the father. In other words, when you're looking at me, you're looking at God. A lot of people have tried to do a magic trick with Jesus. They try to turn him into a good teacher, right? Uh, but a good teacher would never say, I'm God. So if I were to go out and teach, you know, good moral lessons, you would probably say, boy, that Mike is a a good teacher. He's teaching good moral lessons. He's trying to help people become, you know, better versions of themselves. And he's just teaching them great moral truths. But if I were to also add into my teachings, and by the way, I'm God, we'd all take a collective step back, right? So that the lightning bolt, you know, didn't accidentally catch somebody else, right? Because you would back away because I'm not just teaching good things. Now I'm making a claim about who I am. Jesus said this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to God is through me. He didn't say, I'm one way. He didn't say, I'm a good way. Saying, listen, saying that all roads lead to heaven is like saying, I can dial any combination of numbers and and get my wife Sandy on the phone. There are certain numbers I have to dial in a certain order if I want to get Sandy's cell. And here's why this changes everything. Listen, if you meet anybody who claims to be God, you have three options. They're on your notes. Please write these down. I want to make sure you take this home. The first one is, if someone claims to be God, they may be a lunatic. I mean, they may be a nut job. They may be out of their mind. They, they're, not meant to, they're mentally, you know, they're not all there. He doesn't know what he's talking about. The lights are on, but nobody's home, right? The elevator doesn't go to the top floor. We're a jelly bean short of an Easter basket. Whatever you want to say, he's out of his mind. The second option you have is that they're a liar, they know for a fact they are not who they're claiming to be, but most likely they want to get something from you. And we know this has occurred because it has occurred to you in this lifetime. Someone has claimed to be something that they're not because they wanted to get something from you. So we know that that happens. There's a third option. And the third option is they're telling the truth. If someone says that they're God and they're telling the truth, then, 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 then they are God. But if they're God, that means that they're Lord. So lunatic, liar, or Lord? Those are the options with Jesus because of what he said about himself. Those are the only options we have available to us. And everybody in this room, this, this may surprise you, everybody in this room has already made a decision about who Jesus is. You've already decided he's either lying through his teeth, he's a nut job, or he's actually who he said he You've already decided that, and you may have never said it out loud, but you've decided by the way you live your life because if you believe he's lord you live your life in a certain way. I like the way C.S. Lewis put it. He was speaking with an agnostic and he said this, "I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher. I just don't accept his claim to be God." That is the one thing we must not do. Lewis said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on level with the man who claims to be a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Look at what he says. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. Listen, Jesus is either who he said he is or he is the biggest liar who has ever walked the earth. He made some claims about his identity. And then he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to prove to you that what I'm saying about myself is true. As a matter of fact, one day Jesus goes into the temple. This is recorded in the Gospels. He goes into the temple and there were people buying and selling things in the temple. They had turned the temple into somewhat of a Caesars Creek flea market. And it really made him angry. And he starts flipping tables over and he starts driving them out. And the people who had been selling and making money were very upset about this. And they said, what gives you the right to do this? And Jesus said, I'm God. And they said, if you're God, you prove it. And he said to them, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna kill me. That's what this means. Destroy this temple And I will raise it again in three days. You're going to kill me. And three days later, I'm going to raise uh, from the dead. And on this side of the story, we say, well, of course he did, right? Because that's today and we call it, there we go. Yeah, so we call it Easter and it changes everything, right? Because Jesus claim to be God and his resurrection backs up the fact of what he claimed to be that's why Easter is so important but it's not the only reason there's a couple more reasons I want you to see They're on your notes Easter also shows us that Jesus has the power that he claims to have and he claimed to have quite a bit of power check out what he says in John chapter 10 he says no one can take my life from me you cannot kill you can't kill me I can lay my life down voluntarily, for I have the right to lay it down when I want to. But if I lay it down, I also have the power to pick it back up. Isn't that interesting, what he said? No force could keep him in the tomb. You know, the Easter story tells us that the Romans killed him. They put him in a tomb, and then they put a big stone over the tomb, and then they put this big Roman seal that everyone was scared to death to break, because if he broke it, it was immediate death. And then they posted a 24-hour guard, but they were only trying to prevent the inevitable. He has all the power in the world available to him. And he said, you can't stop me. I can give my life away. But if I do, I can pick it right back up again. There's one more I want to make sure you get uh, just kind of quickly. Easter also shows us that Jesus does what he promises to do. So in Mark chapter 10... Jesus has taken his 12 closest friends, his followers aside, and he told them what was about to happen because what we call Easter is about to to happen. He says, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And then the son of man, he's talking about himself. The son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. And they are going to condemn him to death. And they are going to hand him over to the Gentiles. And he's going to be mocked and spit on. They'll flog him and kill him. But three days later, he will rise. So I just the cross wasn't a surprise to Jesus. He knew it was coming. It was all part of God's plan. But it's interesting to me that God weaves this thread of humor into the Easter story. I mean, how would you feel if you had been the guys who were there who put Jesus to death? You publicly execute this man in front of thousands of witnesses. They all watch him die and then you bury him and then you put a stone over the tomb and then you seal it. Then you put a 24 hour guard of it. And three days later you bump into him at Skyline Chili. I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, how embarrassing is that, right? I mean, what, what do you say if you meet him on the sidewalk? Interestingly, there were women who went to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning, the original Easter Sunday morning, because they wanted to prepare Jesus' body for burial. And they run into an angel who says to them, don't be frightened. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. The guy who died on Friday, I know you're looking for him. He's come back to life again. Read these words with me. Just as he said he would. He told you he was going to. Listen, he did what he promised. And I hope you will hear this. But when God makes you a promise, take it to the bank. Because he means it and he will keep it. That's why Easter is first important, most important, of greatest importance. That's why this, what we celebrate today, it, just, it changes everything. 20 years ago, Newsweek magazine wrote this. They wrote, the risen Christ is the center of the Christian faith, the mystery without which there would be no church, no hope of eternal life, no living Christ to encounter today. No other historical figure has made the claim that he was raised from the dead. Think about that. Nobody, nobody else has ever said that about themselves. If the New Testament is to be believed, it was this appearance of the resurrected Christ that lit the flame of the Christian faith. Newsweek magazine writes, It wasn't the morality of the Sermon on the Mount which allowed Christianity to conquer Roman paganism, but it was the belief that Jesus was alive that he was raised from the dead, that he is who he claims to be, that he has the power that he claims to have, and that he keeps the promises that he makes, to which someone in the room has got to be thinking to themselves, so what? I mean, even if it's true, I mean, great story, kind of tough on Jesus at the beginning, but he comes out okay in the end, right? What does that have to do with me? Take a look at our verses. They're at the top of your notes again, because I want you to take these home. It's not just that he died, right? For I received, I passed on to you. First importance, most important, that Christ that Christ died. Why? For our sins. It's not just that he died, it's why he died. I think this is hard for people to believe. Because Someone has got to be thinking, you have no idea what I've done. And maybe you're thinking right now, there are things I've done, there are things I'm doing. I'm I'm still doing these things, and they don't line up with Jesus, so I know it's not okay with him. Or maybe you're thinking, I've made these horrific decisions in my past. You can't undo the things that I've done. They're done. And we struggle to forgive ourselves. And if I can't even forgive myself, how in the world is God ever going to forgive me? And we realize that there is this inequity in the whole thing. It's not fair. And we keep coming up on the short end of the stick. You know, you've probably seen this because it's part of a TED talk that's been on social media, but researchers are studying to see if fairness is actually hardwired into us as human beings and maybe even hardwired uh, into the whole biological world because we see it in animals. So what you're about to watch, uh, the first part of the experiment is paused for a moment while the, the researcher explains that one of these Capuchin monkeys, there's two capuchin monkeys. They uh they're given this task to do, and the first one is originally satisfied with receiving a cucumber for the task. As a matter of fact, what they found was if you give both of them cucumbers, they'll do this task twenty-five times in a row, will not miss a beat. But it all changes when the second monkey, instead of getting a cucumber, gets a grape for carrying out the exact same task. Watch this. The one on the left is the monkey who gets cucumber. The one on the right ...is the one who gets grapes. The one who gets cucumber, note that the first piece of cucumber is perfectly fine. The first piece she eats. Uh, Then she sees the other one getting grape and you will see what happens. So she gives a rock to us, that's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that... She gives a rock to us now, gets again, cucumber. <laughs> she tests the rock now, against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again you don't have to be a monkey to know what's fair and what's not right i mean that's kind of the deal but i showed you this because what i want you to understand is easter means here's what easter is telling you god isn't interested in fair fair isn't what he's looking for What God is looking for is to do whatever he can to help you. That's why in Romans chapter 3, Paul would write, God says he will accept us, acquit us, declare us not guilty for all the things we've done wrong in life if we will trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we can all be saved in the same way by coming to Christ. Look at these last words, no matter who we are or what we've been like. No matter who you are no matter what you've been like. Do you know why Easter is such a big deal? Listen, first we sense that something big has happened. And we know, we know in this room, it's not about bunnies and eggs. We love that, but we know that's not what it's about and we're drawn to this story. We sense this need to connect with Jesus, especially at Easter time. Actually, at Christmas and Easter, both we sense this special need to connect with Jesus and it actually goes back to the story because it's how we were originally made. God created us to have relationship with him. This isn't a story about some guy 2,000 years ago. This goes all the way back to the beginning of our human history when God created us to have relationship with him and God is trying to reconnect with us because somewhere along the line we blew it and it caused this separation between us and God and when, some of us who know Bible stories know that this goes back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve and they sinned and it caused a separation with God but I want you to understand your separation from God and my separation from God isn't because Adam and Eve sinned our separation from God is because you and I sin. Not their fault, it's our fault. We've caused a separation in our relationship with God. And I don't know what it's been for you. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and now you're getting really antsy because you're hoping no one ever finds out what you've done because you are embarrassed to death by it. But our sin causes us to back away. And especially at Easter time, it's this story. It's this story. I mean, listen, we, again, we all love the bunny. We all love the eggs. My granddaughter's coming over today. We're going to do the Easter egg hunt. We're doing all of that. But you and I both know that what we're talking about today is way more important than that. It's way bigger than that. So we're aware and we want to be on the right side of this thing. And so we do everything that we can. I mean, we've shown up today in case God is taking attendance. We wanted to be here, right? And we bought Easter outfits, because if he's looking, we want to look good, right? And, and so we did that and we try to do enough good things and, and try to not do enough bad things so that we can be good enough to get to God. The problem is none of us you you can't attend enough. I can't preach enough. But there's, we can't do enough good things for God to be okay with us because we keep falling short. And the reason we want to get this corrected. Is because we know if it goes beyond our lifetime, if we die and this separation still is happening, that's called hell. If if this separation follows us beyond our lifetime, it lasts for eternity. And hell is called, hell is a place that is the absence of God's presence, the absence of his love, and it's the absence of his grace, and it never ends. And so we know in our lifetime we have got to fix this thing. And we sometimes, when we get to to the end of our rope, we don't know what to do. The good news of today, and I think one of the reasons we're drawn to this story, is that 2,000 years ago, God did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. He sent his son to die for us to take care of this sin problem that we have, this debt that we have. And this morning, some of you know that you're still over here. As a matter of fact, I want to be real clear about this. All of us in the room... Either have been or are still over here. No one is born over there. We're all we all start here. It's just that some of us make a decision about what who Jesus is going to be. And maybe until this morning, you've never really heard this story this way, and so you've never made that decision. Or maybe, maybe you didn't know this morning that you really only have three options. I mean, either he's lying through his teeth, he's a nut job or who he says he is. And those are your only options. And so you fooled yourself into thinking, I can go to church, I can hear the story, and I'm just not going to make a decision. To be clear, not making a decision is a decision. And we're all making one about who Jesus is going to be. And so we try to get ourselves over there and And the Bible tells us really there are three things that we need to do. If we're going to make this jaunt over, the first one is believe. Uh, You have to believe this whole story is true. And you've already made up your mind whether you believe it or not. Jesus is either who he said he is or he isn't. He actually did what he said he did or he didn't. But if if you want to be right with God, you have to understand the story and believe it. And for some of us, that may mean you have to be given the opportunity to ask these hard questions that you have. You have questions. They deserve answers. But the Bible tells us, and if you grew up in church, you may have memorized this verse, John 3, 16, that God loved the world so much that he gave his son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing you need to do. It's repent. And all repent, is a Bible word. It means fess up, own it. It's not your parents' fault, the decisions you've made. It's not your spouse's fault. It's not your kid's fault. It's not your neighbor. It's not circumstances we're calling the shots in our lives. We make the decisions. And so if we've done things that we're ashamed of, that's our fault, not someone else's. And that's what this means. We turn to God and we say, God, this isn't on you. This is on me. I did this and I'm sorry. That's what this means. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be what? Wiped out, obliterated. They're destroyed when we do that. The third thing that happens is we need to be baptized. Acts 2.36 tells us Peter's talking to the people who actually crucified Jesus. And when they find out who Jesus, he says, you crucified the Son of God. And they say, what do we need to do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, all of you, and your sins will be forgiven, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's this physical sign of this decision we're making. So when Paul's writing to another church in the first century, he writes this, he has forgiven all our sins and canceled every record of every debt we ever owed, Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. Every debt you've ever had, relational, physical, spiritual, any debt that you had wiped out. And I don't know how long you remember a bill after you've paid it. Get your electric bill, your cable bill, whatever bill you get. When you get that and you pay it, how long do you remember it after you've paid it? Man, I totally forget it right away. I've already taken care of it. It's no big deal. That's what God is saying. I will take care of your debt. You never have to worry about that again. You can start over. And this time, I will help you. And every year, we're drawn to this story because this story, this changes everything. At least it has the possibility to. I know that there are people around the world, maybe even in this room, who think that God does not love them and will not forgive them because of whatever they've done or whatever they've said or, or something that they've become that, quite frankly, they know is unlovable. And they've underestimated God's ability to love them. John three sixteen may be the most memorized verse in the Bible. Remember, we looked at it a moment ago. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The very next thing Jesus said is the very next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to give you every opportunity to be saved. That's why we're so drawn to this story. That's why it means so much to us. And I want to tell you today, wherever you are, regardless of what you've done, it is not too late. You are not too far away. And the truth of the resurrection has changed lives all around the world. But the question this morning, really, is have you allowed it to change yours? Listen to the rest of Nick's story.
0: One night I was drunk and I was angry at myself, uh, angry at the things around me, angry at life, and I decided to go for a walk. On that walk, I was you know, battling with a lot and I was talking to God and just crying out to Him. And, and at that point, it was the start of a journey that to try to trust Him and let Him take over my life because I had tried it in the past, And I just never, it never stuck. And I said, okay, God, I'll let you take the reins. You just guide me. And from that point on, my life's been completely different. It took a long process, a long time. Um, I battled him most of the time in that classic battle of tug-of-war, slowly giving up things that I thought, who I was and, and it's so amazing to me of what he's done and, and just transforming who I was and, and my focus on what I thought was real and, and one of the things in scripture has always encouraged me is the story of Joseph where his brothers did all this harm to him and, and he had this hard um, upbringing and then when they come to him for forgiveness uh, he says it's okay because what they did they intended to harm him but God intended it for good And, and I hold on to that very deeply because it was like God was telling me that what I did to myself was trying to harm myself but he intended it for good because where I'm at now I'm able to use my story and talk to high schoolers uh, and to encourage people around me that he cares about you so much if you just allow him to come into your heart and, and to be that light